What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. All right, guys, welcome to the Pulse to the Wall podcast. This is Nick Paul here, and today we have a guest that I've been looking forward to talking to for quite a while. It's Michael Bolden, who is the founder and director of the 10th Amendment Center. And I'm sure a lot of our guests are familiar with you, Michael, but for those who aren't, could you briefly describe what your line of work is? Oh, okay. I run this organization, 10th Amendment Center, that I started back in 2006 when Bush was in office. And my goal is literally just to start a blog because I was pissed off at everything they were doing. You know, the wars, the Patriot Act, the surveillance, uh, the prohibition, uh, and on and on. So I just started this blog with the hopes of uh, educating people that basically everything that they said they were going to do or government does is either a violation of what what it's authorized to do or they lie about what they're doing or they lie about what it's going to cost and i thought i was just going to reach and teach a few people and share some viewpoints and it kind of caught on and these days we're a number of years later and we do kind of half education about the proper role of government under the constitution basically 90 to 95 percent of the stuff it does it shouldn't be doing and then what do you do about it because most people spend all their time trying to vote bums out in the hopes that new bums are going to say, oh, all this power, no thanks. Or they're going to go to federal courts in the hopes that federal judges are going to limit the power of federal politicians. And none of that stuff actually works. Today, we live under the largest government in the history of the world, the largest empire the world has ever seen. So there has to be something outside of the centralized power structure and that's where the 10th Amendment comes in. Individuals, cities, states can take action that the feds say you can't do until it brings them to an end. Is that a good yeah, summary? You know, yeah, no, definitely. And cool. you know, I would say Mike and I have a, a similar backstory. Both grew up kind of uh, you know, Catholic, conservative. And then it wasn't until 2012. I was a senior in high school when Ron Paul ran. And I remember just, it just challenged so many of my views and got me to think and see the world differently. And then, you know, you go down the rabbit hole learning about the Fed and then, you know, the uh, NSA yeah. and all of these things. And, and it's like, okay, so now, like you just said, what do you do about it? And to me, like when I first heard you, I mean, I was aware of you, I think from Tom Woods podcast a few years ago, yeah. uh, when I like, you know, started listening to a lot more libertarian podcasts. And then I heard your episode on Thaddeus Russell's unregistered podcast. And I remember oh, that was juicy. <laughs> oh, it was good. I remember I was calling everybody I knew when you said that, I think it was Utah or Nevada. One of the desert States could fry the NSA servers if they simply shut off the water. And I'm like, that is the most punk rock thing I've ever heard in my life. That is, that is amazing. That's so, a great um, example of it. That's a great example of what I was talking about there, like in that overview, is really you always have basically what we've learned over the years. When you live under the largest government ever, the largest government, you think it's all powerful and super dangerous, and it is very dangerous. They're going to use a lot of violence to try to get their way on things. But at the end of the day, when you really look at the nuts and bolts of how they do things, they generally only 
uh, rely on enforcement actions by states to help the feds do whatever it is. Whether it's like gun control prohibition, the ATF only has about 5,000 employees for the whole country. So they have to rely on local law enforcement to help them do federal gun control. Same with cannabis prohibition. And then we learned that even when it comes to an NSA data center, the reason that they built the one in Utah and there's others in Texas and West Virginia and Georgia was because back in 2006, they actually maxed out the Baltimore area power grid. And the NSA, it even came out in the local paper, uh, maybe there was a Baltimore Sun at the time, something like that. They were actually concerned about a shutdown of the agency because they were growing so fast, consuming so much data back in 2006 that they went to find other places with cheap resources in Texas at an old Sony factory outside of San Antonio, which is just a couple miles away from a massive new Microsoft data center. They get access to the independent Texas power grid, which we learned today has some troubles, uh, but they got cheap electricity from Texas. And maybe that's part of the reason why there isn't enough electricity for other people, because the government is stealing it all or using it all up. And in Utah, they got a sweetheart deal on water, which they need to cool the supercomputers to keep that uh, that facility running. So there's always some way in most federal programs, and even the National Governors Association talks about this, states are partners with the federal government on most federal programs. And the dirty little secret they don't want anyone to know is that partnerships don't work very well when half the team quits. So if we opt out of whatever is important to you, you find a way to opt out of that bad issue from Washington, D.C., and they're not going to be able to pull it off too well when you get enough people going along with it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Uh, you know, if you take your average politically conscious American and you bring up the Tenth Amendment, they'll probably think of, you know, Colorado legalizing weed and sure. even though it's federally prohibited. And, and really, I mean, you know, that's a good example, but it's really just a surface level example. The stuff you're talking about doing is really like neutering the federal government. I mean, in a lot of cases, and this is an idea that should cross party lines. And it's like, Hey, if you don't like Trump, then you can, you know, you can negate these policies. And if you don't like Biden, then you can negate his policies. And you know, this, the whole federal government structure, it's like the one ring in the Lord of the Rings. It's like, Hey, what if you could just say it doesn't apply here? You know, the, the ring doesn't have any power in the Shire and you can really just carve things down. And I've got to say over the last few years, I mean, are your ideas, are you seeing more interest in the 10th amendment and all of your work? Cause it seems like when I talk to people on the left and right, and I talk about decentralization and nullification and these things, they're more open to it. I mean, you know, hardcore they sure Democrats, are. Yeah, they sure are. And part of the reason, honestly, is we talk about uh, Colorado, but we can back up here in California, 1996, when Proposition 215 passed, three different presidents, one current one at the time and two previous ones. I had just moved here to Southern California from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, the other Los Angeles, I guess. And at the time, three different presidents campaigned against the people voting in support of Prop 215 to legalize marijuana for limited medical purposes. And what was the reason? Supremacy clause. They told the people here over and over and over, you can't do this. The federal government says it's illegal. You can't do this. If you do, we'll sue and win. You can't do this. We'll come in and enforce. And California went it alone at that time. And over time, we learned that even though the Supreme Court did win for the federal government, just like they promised us, people continue to do it. Because back in 2005, when the Supreme Court in the Gonzalez versus Rage case 
ruled against or had an opinion against someone who I think is a hero, a lady named Angel Rach, in this famous marijuana 10th Amendment case. There were only 10 states that had limited medical programs on the books. And you would think, at least I was raised when I grew up, like if the Supreme Court strikes something down, anybody who has that law on the books is just going to repeal it. Well, today we're looking at 36 states and counting, defying Washington, D.C. on a plant. And now we're starting, and we've been making this case for a number of years, that people on the right, rather than only arguing with people on the left and saying how awful they are, maybe look at the strategy that they've used for certain things and learn from them. And we can learn quite a bit about what happened over the last few decades on this weed thing. And maybe some gun rights activism can happen in the same way. So we've crafted model legislation that is being considered in about 15 states today to actually opt out of enforcement of federal gun control measures. That would be a huge foundational step to bring those federal gun control measures to an end. And when I talk about unconstitutional federal gun control measures, I mean every single one that's ever passed. From 1934, the National Firearms Act, the Gun Control Act of 68, the Undetectable Firearms Act. Most, I didn't even know this one existed until the NRA bragged about getting it passed. Basically a law making 3D printed guns illegal. So we can actually opt out of the enforcement. And if the ATF only has about 5,000 employees, a third of them are in administration, we know that they have a capacity of somewhere around eight to 10,000 closed cases a year. Sooner or later, they're not gonna be able to deal with it if the people say no, if their local communities and local states pass laws backing them up. Gotcha. So yeah, your your stances seem to me, extremely rational, uh, constitutional, and, and just, but I'm sure. Wow. And, then you're and, also insane. <laughs> yeah. and, but in today's uh, climate that we're living in, you're probably labeled yeah. as a radical with these stances, like talking about shutting down NSA servers. That just yeah. sounds absurd to most people, even though it's completely constitutional and it's it should be our rights. But um, have you gotten much pushback from people? Have you been labeled an extremist? I mean, what what is the oh, kind yeah. of perception of what you're doing? Was this a leading question? Are you aware of this or no? <laughs> Not, you know the answer. I gave him I a guess. brief I, curious. <laughs> Michael, I <laughs> just talked to I talked to my brother Mike a second ago, and I told him about the uh, the your SPLC. Oh, you okay. Know, I'm like, man, because that sounds that sounds okay. like an awesome. Question. So yeah, I am. <laughs> it's funny because I talk about weed. I got into this work as an anti-war activist. Uh, I talk about one of the most effective ways to nullify uh, Washington D.C. is to look at immigration sanctuary cities. Uh, you know, so a lot of people when they meet me, I live in Southern California. Like my lifestyle is not very right wing at all. People meet me and they're like, "This dude is definitely not a Republican." There's no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah, the Southern Poverty Law Center, some years ago, they actually decided to do a profile on me. And a lot of times they do this like annual listing of hateful, evil, kind of race-inspired uh, bad people. And a lot of people on the list are pretty awful, but they also use it to people uh, to kind of uh, shoehorn people into thinking that other people who do stuff that oppose the centralized power structure are also bad, they're hateful. And I was actually listed some years ago as one of the... 30 leaders of the new radical right. And so they talked about how dangerous I was uh, for talking about nullification, for talking about this weird view of the 10th Amendment. And that goes out to like law enforcement all around the country as part of their hate watch edition of that year. And I'm still featured there today. 
as this uh, this profile. But it was interesting because like shortly after that came out, if you're familiar with the magazine Mother Jones, it's a old school, very, very progressive uh, magazine. This is a place, a publication where, you know, mainstream Democrats were seen as right wingers, basically. Uh, and they actually wrote a response to that because they had done a profile on some work that I had done a few years earlier and the lady Stem Stephanie Mensimer who had written the article, she reached out to me after this and she basically wrote this response like, okay, you can think he's nuts, but radical, right? Nah, not a chance. So I've been hit there. I've also been attacked in the editorial pages. My organization is attacked in the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal for opposing the indefinite detention provisions of the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012, which are still on the books today, for working with states and local communities to opt out of participation in that. That's kind of a struggle there. Uh, we've also been attacked in the Washington Post and the Heritage Foundation, Mark Levin. So it's left and right. Right. They don't like the idea. It seems like left and right, they all just want to control the centralized power structure and force their way of thinking on everyone and anyone. But that's really just a way to make sure that you have a kind of a, and Tom Woods used to talk about this in this way a few years ago. You'd say that just ensures that every couple of years you have this low grade kind of civil war where one side is trying to destroy the other. And, and at the end of the day, no one's happy with the results. And that's why decentralization, we can talk about that through where people are learning about this, not only from cannabis legalization, they learn that decentralization doesn't bring the world to an end, but you see it in the crypto sphere as well. People talk about decentralization as the most important part of that to get out of the thumb of the central banking system. So I think people are learning about this just day to day. And then when they see it in political areas, they're like, well, maybe it isn't just this nasty bugaboo that I've heard about over the years. So I guess short and, version, yes, right. people are picking up on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the irony of being labeled a radical or extremist or, or any far anything is you know, the work you're doing with the 10th Amendment Center, it is the 10th Amendment. You are literally invoking like America's founding document and you have the law, the, the law of the land on your side. And somehow it's radical to be, you know, promoting the thing that is in place, but it's just not adhered to. So it's a, it's just a very, very strange thing where you talked about like both sides, Republican and Democrats, they want control of that central power. But when you talk to people, like just regular Democratic voters or Republican voters, there's this disconnect between the bases and the voters and what they want and then what their their elected officials do. So I, this is the strategy thing that like the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk in the libertarian spheres about, you know, the Mises caucus is doing great work. And then there are a lot of guys who are, you know, you have Thomas Massey and Rand Paul that are getting elected as Republicans. And the question is, how do we actually take these libertarian policies and promote them and, and get things done? And I just think that that political route is extremely futile. I mean, it, and yeah. it's in terms of actually making something happen. But what you're doing is taking something that has it will have popular support among voters if enough people are conscious of it. And, you know, politics is downstream from culture. If enough people are aware of the 10th amendment and then, you know, what it could do for their issues. I think it has a real chance of actually infiltrating the the political establishment and making something happen. Is that kind of the goal? I mean, what is the, the like mission statement of the 10th amendment center? 
Well, so we do the education part, but then the activism, I think, is most important because, you know, there's enough people who have written enough books, and there are people who are writing a bunch of books about philosophy and theory and all this stuff, and you can only go so far with it. There's, you're going to educate certain people with just reading, but I think most of us, and I, myself included, learn by seeing how things play out in practice. Oh, yeah, that sounds good in theory that there shouldn't be U.S. troops stationed in 170 countries around the world. But if they aren't, then aren't we all going to get killed by terrorists is the mentality of some. Well, how they learn that they're not going to have the end of the world by withdrawing troops and not being a, a military empire for the entire globe is by watching it happen. And so as we can make more inroads, doing stuff, I think that's the most important. And the way that we do stuff, rather than focusing on elections or trying to get someone in Congress, in general, I argue to forget the 202 area code that Washington, D.C. even exists. If you're spending an ounce of your energy personally, my view, if you spend an ounce of your energy on Washington, D.C., you could have put that ounce of energy into relaxing with your family because it's going to get the same amount of stuff done. Nothing is going to change in the largest government in the history of the world. So we work on single issue coalitions. We try to meet people where they are. Because if you think about all the years of government-run education, mo most people aren't going to be with us across the board. But whether someone's on the far left, the far right, the milk toast left, milk toast right, we can find an issue that's important to them, and we can actually be better on that issue than they are and lead them to some strategic efforts that can get something done. And I talked about gun control, for example. So we can reach out to people on the right who look at gun control, the right to keep and bear arms, as their primary single issue. Most people are struggling so hard these days, the average person, that they can't spend their time on more than one thing that's really important to them. So if someone is really big on the Second Amendment, we can say, you know what, instead of waiting for some lawsuit and some court case and another decade for something to play out, why can't we do something right now? Why can't we in Missouri, for example, support House Bill 85, which already passed the state house a couple of weeks ago by a vote of 107 to 43, to ban state and local enforcement of all federal gun control, past, present, and future, because that will help bring it to an end. And then we can do the same thing on the left, uh, whether it's on prohibition or let's say like civil asset forfeiture. Uh, instead of participating in civil asset forfeiture, the federal equitable sharing program, why can't we work on a state level? Like there's a, a piece of legislation uh, up for consideration in New Hampshire or in Missouri or uh, in other states to say, well, we're not going to participate. We're just going to opt out of that. Could be no-knock warrants, police state issues, militarization, there's surveillance. There's so many things where person finds that one issue very important to them and we can connect with them on that. And then when we act as leaders or as participants or as friends on that issue, they might be more willing to hear what we have to say on other issues too. Now the left, you're probably not gonna find much on economics. They're not gonna really listen to us on economics <laughs> or monetary policy. And on the right, they're probably not gonna listen to us much on police state issues but at least we can make some headway on these various issues. And that's what we've been doing for a number of years here at 10th Amendment Center. Can I give you guys a link? Can I just- Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We actually cover, like in much more long form version, we do an annual report, kind of like a prospectus on our work called the State of the Nullification Movement Report. 
It's 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report. It basically takes kind of these short snippets that I'm talking about and divides it into two halves. The first half of the this handbook, it's like 108 pages, free download. You don't have to give any information. It's just click a link and download it. The first half basically talks about the strategy, the theory, the legal basis, the Supreme Court cases, the early kind of use of this type of strategy. And then the second half is how is it being used today, right now before our very eyes? And I would make the case that there's been more nullification type or nullification bills introduced and passed in states around the country in the last, I would say, three to four years than at any time in history. But again, wow. there's a lot more stuff to have happen. I mean, we're also, I mean, you could also say, well, there's a lot more stuff to actually nullify. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly there is a growing interest and a growing recognition that if you want to get something done, you're not going to have that happen in Washington. And you might want to focus closer to home on a state and local level. And I would actually encourage people who have policies that I hate to do it on a state or a local level, because then it's also limited to that state or a local level. Then we can see like universal healthcare. There's been a push here in California to have that happen. My liberty mentality says that is one of the dumbest things they could do. But it would probably be a good example to watch how that plays out in other states around the country. People can learn. That's like the market response, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have 50 states. I mean, why not You know, do small case studies with different ideas? Yeah, uh, you know we're we live in Illinois, so you're probably familiar being from Milwaukee. Um, yes, uh, we have we have our FOID we're about system. About an hour away from Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we have our FOID system for for guns. That's just absolutely a terrible. huge infringement that we're all just accustomed to, and it is so horrible. Their service is like takes was it take Nick, like nine months to get a FOID card if you apply. I, I really six months. Yes. I waited. Yeah. I, I waited six months to get my FOID card back because uh, I needed just a new card. I'm already registered with yeah. the state. Got it back. Six months later, I got a letter saying your address doesn't match. You need to resubmit, pay a five dollar fee and resubmit it. And I oh. waited another six months. Like it's it's the most horrendous. Like they take pride in being a bureaucracy in Illinois, you know, especially with our yeah. current governor. It's just god awful, you know. Yeah, so that's you, so sorry, go ahead, Mike. I say, well, if like I tried to get my address renewed and the same thing happened. It was like nine months, it, it took like five and a half months. By the time I finally got it back. I moved, so I had to change my address again. Oh, another nine months? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I just haven't changed it yet. But um, That's insane. And then when you call the phone number downstate, it's a decoy phone number. It just rings indefinitely and goes through automation, and no one ever answers. Wow. And you go to the, the gun shops, they're like, oh, yeah, you can't get a hold of them. You just call them. It's just going through the motions. So, so it's almost so... like they're creating all these layers to make it so difficult to discourage people from actually... Yep being able to exercise their rights, even though they're still having to get a permission slip on top of it, which makes yeah, it Yeah, and we worse. can't, I can't go to Wisconsin to buy a gun because I live in Illinois, yeah. so I have to go through my FOID, so they got you by the balls. It's so, such yeah. an infringement, and no one's doing anything about it. Now, the state, the now state constitution work. in Illinois is actually pretty bad when it comes to the right. It's one of the few states where it's almost like, uh, the right to keep and bear arms really isn't included here. I can't, I haven't read it in a while, but that's what I recall the last time I looked at it. Illinois is like one of the bottom three. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. So Michael's work, uh, Michael Bolden, both mics here. Sorry. Michael Bolden's <laughs> work. That's a great name. About... I got to tell you, Nick, you're yeah. kind of on the outside here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we gotta, we gotta, Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no kidding. But so, Michael, uh, your work is how to kind of secede and break away from the federal tyranny. 
but we're talking about with Illinois, it's like, okay, now we got to do the same thing within your local tyrant, you know? So it's like getting down to the, even the county level. And that's what I like seeing about this strategy. We're not going to elect a libertarian president probably in our lifetimes. It's just not going to happen. But what we can do is actually influence local policy. And, you know, I'm sure that you're, I, I don't know how involved you are with the Free State Project or if you've been like an aide to those guys. I love guys. those guys. Um, yeah, I, sp yeah, I spoke at Porkfest 10, as like, which is a few years ago, but I was the keynote at uh, Porkfest a few years ago. Every time I'm in New Hampshire, I love it. They're always like, Bolden, when are you signing up? When are you signing up? And I'm like, <laughs> I escaped. I can't do it. I can't do it. I love them. They're pretty awesome, though. That's like this is a way of trying to like put this type of thing into practice, which is like let's focus on a small area and do something positive. And they have so much gray market business happening there, kind of an agorist. I don't know if you guys get into agorism at all, but this is a real yeah. positive development. Basically, learning that even you don't need the local tyrant's approval to run a business, for example. So go. I'm sorry to interrupt there. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say, I mean, that's, that's really putting your ideas and a lot of libertarian ideas into action. And, you know, we've been talking about on this podcast, my brother and I have been wanting to start this movement lately. And are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Have you like listened to yep. his stuff? And I have okay, not, so, but I, I mean, I hear a lot of people say his name. So. Sure, yeah. sure. So his whole thing is like, you know, clean your room because how are you going to take on the world and change anything if your room is a mess? And to us, we're saying like, how are we going to end the Federal Reserve? when we're still getting harassed by our local DMV with stickers that do absolutely nothing for 300 bucks a year. So it's like, you know, you need to take out your local tyrant before you can take out the federal tyrant, you know? So <laughs> that's, that's been our idea. So it's like break away from the federal and then we're going to start a movement to end the DMV. We can't end the fed until we, you know, we've got to prove to ourselves we can add something. Have you guys read Bastiat? Yeah, or not much. Okay, yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know, I, know, I but yeah. Oh no, I'm thinking uh, Etienne de la Boete is an old kind of philosopher. I'm probably not doing this justice, but basically the mentality was um, I don't ask you to topple the tyrant, just that you support him no longer. Like you don't have to overthrow, you don't need a libertarian dictator to force freedom on everybody. You just have to stop participating in the enforcement of each and every federal act. And then you can start seeing how each local area or each state can approach things differently. And again, this is this is just a market response. People will learn much faster what works and what doesn't. And in my belief is that in the long run, when people have a chance to actually see it play out, liberty is the one that people are going to choose, that the market's going to choose, because people will be more free. They will be more prosperous. They'll be more safe. All the good stuff that they promise us through state power that we don't really get that I think in the long run will win on. Yeah, my, my dad always tells a story that when he was in middle school, there was this kind of kid that became a burnout named John Gross that used to turn his chair around and ride like a cowboy and just face it towards the teacher. And he did it every day and the teacher never said a word. So one day my dad tried to do it and the teacher said, Tony, turn your chair around. And he goes, but John gets to do it. He goes, John doesn't listen to me. So I've always thought we all got to be like John. Just if we all turn into a bunch of Johns, the teacher has no power. <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah, when I get pulled awesome. over. When I get pulled over for having expired stickers, I'm like, oh, and I, I don't get into that stuff. That's that's not my thing. You know, I don't I don't do the sticker thing. Just act like right. you just don't participate. Just if people <laughs> stop believing it. And and you know, with something Back like in that, the day, that with, may have worked. That may have worked because they didn't want to go through the trouble of the paperwork, but I think they're happy to do arrests these days. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, no kidding. But it, it's like, you know, if just when we talk about like, uh, you know, being able to change the masses' minds and actually influence policy at a grassroots level, it's like, you know, people don't even stop to ask themselves, like, wait, why do I have to go pay $200 for a sticker and then do it again in 12 yeah. months, even though the plate is linked to my name and my address, nothing's changed. Uh, and, you know, if, if Amazon did this, you'd have a sticker on your doorstep same day and it would be good. You know, you could do everything for $3 tops. But uh, right, and but it would yeah, be a monthly no, I, subscription too, and you would. Yeah, right. Amazon and, would make it a monthly delivery, a brand new plate every month for five bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Michael, this this kind of conversation, this is what brings hope to me that we can actually change things at any level and and kind of get people to stop believing in this. So I mean, this is a you know, as the kids say, it's a it's a white pill kind of episode. This is exciting to me. We talk about, you know, frying NSA supercomputers and ending the DMV and, and ending gun control. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. I really enjoy this kind of conversation. What I think is important to note is that in some areas like Illinois, the odds of actually nullifying federal gun control today are probably zero, but that doesn't mean you don't talk about it. You don't actually plant the seeds. Rothbard some years ago, uh, you guys are fans or Mm -hmm. uh, he ba basically he said, you know, that the, the main task for the libertarian in the present epoch, and this was sometime in the late 60s, but I think it applies today, is to set aside his debilitating and constant pessimism, to set his, you know, sights on liberty and long run liberty and set about the goal or the path to its attainment. We have to recognize that every tiny step leads to another if we can rally people to the cause. And now it, you may not be able to deal with gun control too easily in Illinois as you may be able to do in a place like Arizona. And that's not even easy in a place like Arizona or Missouri as well. But you can start talking about it and you can actually take action on other issues. In Illinois, it's very likely that we'll see other things like, for example, like the marijuana legalization that happened in Illinois was much broader than what happened in Colorado because they also uh, have been dealing with expunging people's criminal records. So this is actually moving forward in Illinois beyond where it was in the first years of this type of thing happening. And there's also an appetite even in, uh, what is it, Springfield? What's the capital there? Yeah, Springfield. There's an appetite from a lot of more on the left legislators in the state capital to deal with things like asset forfeiture, mass warrantless surveillance, police state no-knock warrants and things like that. And you can make some headway even in your own area in a place where you think it's just going to be just tyrants and horrible where it is everywhere, but you can make headways on, headway on other issues. And again, it gets back to that idea. If you can work with people on one thing, they might be more willing to listen to you on another issue. And I think that's really the path forward, issue by issue, step by step, brick by brick, building a foundation for liberty today and in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and Michael, one thing I just wanted... So I was going to say one thing about the, uh, the Illinois marijuana thing. I mean, it's great what they did with the criminal records expunging and everything like that. Yeah. But... It wouldn't be Illinois if they didn't screw it up and botch it somehow. And what I mean by that is they tax it at such a high rate that it's like three yeah, times the value though. of what you could buy. But so the, I don't know if, uh, if I'll have to look, cause I remember hearing that, like, I know that the black market is alive and well, and people are getting it for like 70% off, which I, yeah, I guess they, they still get their revenue, but I, I can't remember what it was compared to like California or Colorado, but 
um yeah no that's it's it's great you know that's one thing i they mean got right so the, far the taxing and regulation system is a whole nother level of education i don't think there's really like we're going to be in such a minority we're going to be like people should be able to grow weed like they grow tomatoes you know and maybe well i mean they don't want lemonade stands with kids anymore either so they always want everyone to have a license and i think that be is because the general public thinks this licensing and regulatory schemes are protecting people somehow and that's a whole nother level of very difficult education at least for the time being i think even in those places like Illinois, where they have the, the highest level of taxation on a product that never should have been illegal in the first place, I still think the idea of not throwing a bunch of people in a cage is far better than, than how it was in the past, right? So that's oh, definitely absolutely. an improvement. And then I think at some point, we're gonna have to address the tax and regulatory scheme on other products like alcohol and all kinds of things. Uh, the more that things are privately owned, uh, free market system, of course, that's going to be better. But we'll have to show that by example, that the world doesn't come to an end. Schools don't close. Kids still get educated if we don't tax us at 25%. So that's, of course, the kind of crazy arguments we'll always hear. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah Michael, I know you're short on time, so I don't want to keep you too long. Um, any other uh, plugs you have or places people can find you? No, this has been really fun. You guys are really, really cool to talk with. I appreciate the opportunity to share some stuff. And uh, cool. just that link again, it's 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report. It's a free download PDF. We've got a Kindle version, which is kind of crappy in the formatting, but the, the EPUB, the Apple Books uh, uh, edition is really nice too. And I just encourage people to read, learn and share and take action really, because it's more than just learning and knowing stuff, but it's about doing stuff that advances liberty. And whether you like the idea of doing stuff with a state legislature, a local uh, county government or individual action, agorist style approaches, they're all very positive, like print more guns, not money. That's something that you don't necessarily <laughs> even need a state legislature to do, right? If we're talking Mises caucus, we know those t-shirts, print guns, not money. This is a, something that an individual can do without permission from the state. Now it runs some risk, but uh, we all have to uh, kind of assess our own risk on what we want to do. I think I'm going to go buy that t-shirt right now. I love that. Right? It's awesome. <laughs> All right. I can drop that link in the show notes. If anybody wants to learn more, go ahead and click on that. But yeah, I'd love nice. to have you back on sometime. We could talk for cool. hours. So cool. I really appreciate your cool. time. Thank you, Michael. You yeah, guys appreciate cool. it, Michael. I appreciate Thank the you. opportunity. Have a great Sunday, guys. You too. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye. Peace.